So I came across a new and interesting fact this week that simply tickled me pink. And in order to fully appreciate both the nerdiness, but also the non-coincidence of this fact, this requires me to back up a little bit to explain the full context. So as you know, I've been reading a lot of the founding documents of queer theory. I've read, I've been reading the founding documents of critical theory. I've been, I've been studying Marxist theory, essentially, to understand fully what the, what the left is doing. Because like we talked about in yesterday's show, when I was deconstructing David French's article, positing that conservatives are hypocrites on free speech, which if you haven't listened to, I, I highly recommend. I know it's my own work. But the, the problem with the Frenchian school of thought or his conclusions are is actually the, the problem isn't the, um, the result of his thinking. It, it's the premise of his thinking. The premise of his thinking is not understanding our enemy. And it's, it's hard to fight back against an enemy if you don't understand their agenda or their ideology, their goals for our country, what vision they have. You, you can't really fight back against someone if you don't um, if you don't understand them. So I've been reading all of the founding documents, um, all of all of the political theory, all of the ideological work that explains what the left is doing in order to better not only understand it, to explain it, to have these conversations with you, but also to help deconstruct this and to stop this damage happening to our country before it actually happens. Because we so often as conservatives play defense, we, we fight back against these assaults on, you know, whether it's the family, whether it's religious liberty, whether it's our Second Amendment, whether it's our children, we fight back after these attacks have already started, as we should, but it would be great, wouldn't it, if we could stop these before, stop these attacks before it happens. So I've been reading a lot of this, to summarize, but I just have been reading a lot of this Marxist theory, and one of the pivotal individuals, um, one of the Marxist theorists who, whose ideas are manifesting right now in our country is Antonio Gramsci. I've talked about him before. This is him on the screen. Um, he was the founder of the Italian Communist Party. Um, creepy little bugger, isn't he? Look at those. Look at those blank beady eyes. Well, <laughs> um, I mean, some sometimes you can judge people by what they look like, and I feel like in the case of an Antonio Gramsci, you can judge. You can judge. You can judge the book by by its cover here. So Antonio Gramsci was played a pivotal role in the evolution of critical theory, which started at the Frankfurt School over 100 years ago, bringing that that form of Marxism um, to the not not even to the United States physically. Horkheimer brought that to the United States himself. But but how how critical theory evolved um, into, you know, critical race theory or even into queer theory. Antonio Gramsci played a really pivotal role. He he wrote um, what's known as the prison notebooks. He was imprisoned. He was in jail in fascist Italy because he criticized Mussolini. He was thrown in jail for over a decade. He died there while he uh, while he was in prison. Um, his cohorts smuggled him notebooks, and he you know wrote and wrote and wrote, smuggled them back out, and they were published. Hence the title, prison notebooks. And an Antonio Gramsci doesn't actually get enough attention from the American right. Not not because obviously we're going to um, embrace his ideas. Certainly not. But because his his strain of Marxism is exactly what we're seeing here in the United States. And it's a, it's a fun fact about him that I want to talk about today. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. I like Relief Band because it's all natural. There's no worse feeling than being nauseous. And did you know that one out of every three Americans regularly suffer from nausea? It's super common, whether it's from car sickness or anxiety. That is why you've got to check out Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with 
motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. Relief band stimulates a nerve in your wrist that travels to the part of your brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal that your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you are sick. This is why I like Relief Band. The product is 100% drug-free. It's non-drowsy. It provides all-natural, long-lasting relief with zero side effects for as long as needed. It simply helps your body help yourself. Relief Band makes a great gift any time of the year. Right now, there's an exclusive offer that I have for you just for Liz Wheeler Show listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use my promo code Liz, you will get 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money back guarantee. You have to use my promo code though. Head to reliefband.com and use my promo code Liz for 20% off plus free shipping. Reliefband.com promo code Liz. Okay, so the role that Antonio Gramsci, Gramsci played in the evolution of Marxism, the evolution of Marxist theory. So let's back up even one step further. So critical theory was written by Max Horkheimer. Max Horkheimer wrote the, the original thesis on critical theory at the, uh, at the Frankfurt School, which was a Marxist school. And critical theory in and of itself posited that there is no objective right and wrong, that traditional theory, Horkheimer wrote, fetishized objective truth or fetishized knowledge. And critical theory posited that there simply is no, is no objective truth, that truth is simply a political apparatus. It's, it's basically just a, a judgment of who won the political narrative. So yes, mind-blowing, mind-blowing. So th that was critical theory in a nutshell as penned by Max Horkheimer at, at, the, um, at the Frankfurt School. So Antonio Gramsci understood critical theory for what it was, that it, that it was a, an envisioning of Marxism that didn't require the workers to revolt against the capitalists, right? It didn't require this, this, labor, this labor revolution to take place. So Antonio Gramsci said, okay, then what do we need? How do we actually bring about a Marxist revolution if we're not going to have the workers revolting against the ruling class and we're not going to destroy capitalism like that? How are we going to do it? So he posited what's called cultural hegemony theory. And he, said, he basically said, well, the people, not the ruling class, the people or the workers are going to... Um, need to be re-educated if they are going to revolt against their capitalist overlords. Because as long as the, the everyday man, as long as the worker class, as long as the people, if you will, rely on social and cultural institutions like the family, like religion, even like the nation state, sovereignty, as long as they rely on these cultural institutions, they're never going, there's never going to be an uprising. They're never going to throw off their system of government. They're never going to throw off capitalism and the ruling class and freedom and liberty and justice and all of that. And so this, this cultural hegemony theory that Antonio Gramsci posited said, well, we need to re-educate these, we need to re-educate the people um, in order to be able to apply critical theory. And so Gramsci introduced this idea of, of a new vanguard was needed. There needed to be some other issue, not just the labor versus the ruling class. There needed to be some other cultural divide. There needed to be some other, some other political division. There needed to be some other contention, one side against the other, in order for, well, it to, it to spark spark into a revolution, for it to escalate into a revolution. He knew that that kind of division required some kind of re-education. You have to plant these divisive ideas in people's heads because in and of themselves, maybe people 
weren't likely to just want to throw off their government, to throw off these, these, these cultural institutions, even not just government, the family and God and the nation state, the idea that property is yours and that you have a right to protect your borders, all of this. He knew that you have to dismantle all of that in order to dismantle the capitalist structure. And so this is, this, is what, this is what Gramsci offered to Marxism. He said, you know what, we need to find a new vanguard. And then, of course, the step after that was using race as this vanguard. You know, then we get critical race theory. It's using um, it's queer theory. You know, it's using LGBTQ issues to, to be this new revolutionary vanguard. And part of this re-education, of course, where it circles back, all the way back to the critical theory uh, posited by Horkheimer, which says there is no objective truth. Everything, truth is just who won the political narrative, that, that traditional theory with its, with its elevation of, of knowledge, of objective reality, that, that needs to be dismantled. So this, as you can see, this, this, this pot, this steaming pile of garbage that I'm describing to you, th this is Marxist theory, and this is how it's playing out here in the United States. We see this with critical race theory, right? Critical race theory is using race on one hand to divide black children from white children, black adults from white adults, using this, this and not just dividing them, but pitting them against each other. White people are oppressing black people. Black people are oppressing white people. There's nothing you can do about it because you are the descendant of white supremacy if you have not much melanin in your skin and you are going to be oppressed no matter how hard you work if you have a certain level of melanin in your skin. It's very divisive. It's pitting people against each other. and at the core of this, it's causing two things. It's causing this division, this contention, which is necessary. There has to be a butting of heads for someone to th overthrow someone else. Um, we see that, but we also see this attack on institutions. We see this contention that's been created by the division now being aimed at the criminal justice system, at the education system, at, if you're Black Lives Matter, at the nuclear family. We see this agitation being used to criticize these cultural institutions, not just government institutions. We're not just talking about, oh, the left wants to stack the Supreme Court, the left wants to abolish the Electoral College, the left doesn't like the Senate, the left doesn't like the presidency. We're not even talking just about governmental institutions because Gramsci, or Gramsci knew that the cultural institutions in our country, like religion, like family, like sovereignty and property rights, that those were very critical. And that he said, if people relied on cultural institutions, they would never overthrow this ruling class. So two different things, these governmental institutions and these, these social institutions or cultural institutions. And Gramsci focused on the cultural institutions. That's what we see with critical race theory. That's also what we see with the queer theory that we that we discussed last week. We see this, this, this attack on objective truth, this attack on quote unquote knowledge, this attack on right and wrong, this, this idea that identity is or reigns supreme and reality, whether it's biology, whether, whether it's morality, isn't that that truth they say is just a competing narrative if you win you win if the other wins the other wins and that's what's right now you and i know that that's wrong but this is what we're seeing and and the goal of all of this of course is as i've said to turn children the next generation into revolutionaries to turn them against their parents to turn them against cultural institutions whether it's traditional gender roles whether it's marriage whether it's the family unit the nuclear family whether it's God and religion. And of course, gender plays into that because if you reject the gender that God ordained, you are rejecting the gender God ordained, who God ordained you to be. 
So this is this is all tied in here. This is all tied together. And and Gramsci actually focused on five particular pillars of culture that needed to be dismantled in order to dismantle the capitalist state. Now, I like Genucel because it works for both men and women. Gentlemen, you know your wives use your razor. And likewise, we ladies know that our husbands use our skincare products when we are not looking. So let me introduce you to Genucel. Bags and puffiness under the eyes are a problem for millions of American men and women until now. Introducing the new Genucel Serum with plant stem cell technology for under eye bags and puffiness. Let me show you my two favorite Genucel products. Right here, we have, we have uh, Genucel's plant stem cell therapy anti-wrinkle treatment. And then we have the new and immediate, new and improved immediate effects too. The reason that these are my favorite products is because with Genucel's instant effects, you will see results in the first 12 hours or your money back, I guarantee it. If you order now, you can save big on Genucel's risk-free introductory offer. Just go to genucel.com slash Liz. You have to use my URL, G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Liz. If you order now and use my promo code Liz, you can save an extra 10% off your order today. Go to genucel.com slash Liz. Use my promo code Liz and you will get an extra 10% off. Genucel.com slash Liz. Okay, so Gramsci posited these five pillars of culture that he said were an obstacle in the path to Marxist revolution. These five pillars of culture are predictably religion, the nuclear family, education, media, and the law. If these five cultural pillars can be obliterated or perhaps compromised, which maybe is the same thing. Maybe if something is compromised, then what it was in its original form has been obliterated. But these five cultural pillars must be destroyed if we are to destroy the capitalist society, if we are to destroy the West. So religion, family, education, media, and law. So this is an incredible background that I said I needed to present before we got to the fun fact that I did not know. I did not know this week. Until this week, I did not know this fact. So Antonio Gramsci, as I said, an Italian, the founder of the Italian Communist Party, he wrote the prison notebooks, which are his version of Marxist theory or Marxist philosophy. Um, translated into English by guess who? Translated into English by a man named Joseph Buttigieg. Joseph Buttigieg is the father of Secretary Pete Buttigieg. I kid you not. Joseph Buttigieg is the predominant person who brought Gramsci's Marxist theory here to the United States by translating Gramsci's prison notebooks from Italian into English. This is Pete Buttigieg's father. Th this is why, by the way, it is mind-blowing to me that in the course of Pete Buttigieg's political career, that there has not been more attention given to the fact that his father, Joseph Buttigieg, was an avowed Marxist that his father was part of Marxist organizations that contributed to Marxist publications, was the founder, or at least, at least in charge of a, a Gramsci society. This, this is a pretty significant connection between a very insidious form of Marxism brought to us by Gramsci and a very powerful democratic politician here in the United States. Joseph Buttigieg, father of Pete Buttigieg, was the primary translator of Gramsci into English. And I read this and I thought, how did I never notice this, right? How did I never notice when I've been reading Gramsci, it says on the front cover, Joseph Buttigieg. And I just, I never looked to see who translated it. I didn't care in a sense. And now I see, well, I certainly should have cared. 
Um, it, it, it really, if you if you zoom out and look at this big picture, it really makes you wonder when Secretary Pete now says that this um, anti-groomer bill, the parental rights and education bill, which does not ban anyone from saying gay, which does prohibit classroom instruction regarding gender identity and sexual orientation in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and third grade, and prohibits school administrators from hiding from parents when their children transition genders in the public school system. That's all it does. When Secretary Pete says that this, this bill, which is not a bill, it's now a law, will kill people, it really puts this into perspective. So I, 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 do, wanna, I do wanna take a moment and just say, it, 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 this, this claim from Secretary Pete is patently false. It's, it's false for a couple of reasons. One, it's, it's a logical fallacy to say that something must happen based on a threat of self-harm or suicide or violence from another side. You, you never should, especially politically, cave to a threat like that. You never should do something that's inadvisable based on, uh, based on a, a threat of suicide from someone else. So that, that should never be the case. Just like in a, in, there's a case out of Ohio where a 16-year-old girl wanted to transition to a boy. Her parents said, you know what? You have other mental health problems. We want to get you help. And you can transition once you're 18 and you're out of our house, but we're not going to facilitate that under our roof because we think that that's not what's going to help your gender dysphoria and your, and your comorbidities, your other diagnoses. And this, this girl... Um, went to court and the court ruled in favor of her. The court ruled that the parents lost custody of the child and the child was given to someone else who would facilitate the transgender transition. And the judge that made this ruling ruled that it was because this girl would commit suicide if, if she wasn't transitioned, that she had threatened to commit suicide if this transition was not facilitated. And at the time I thought to myself, I was like, so a 16-year-old girl is is holding... Um, holding our whole society, you know, whether it's the judge, whether it's her parents hostage based on a threat, that is not, that is not justice. That is, that is not rule of law. That is something that we should patently reject as a society. That's the first thing. The second thing is it's also just an, an inaccurate claim from Secretary Pete that this bill would harm anyone. First of all, the left tells us that indoctrination into gender identity doesn't happen at the primary school level. So how do you, how do you have that not happening and also, if it if it's prohibited from happening, that it would cause people cause people to die. Can't have it both ways. Can't have it both ways. So one, or, both of those things can't be true. It turns out, of course, that neither of those things are true. Um, that uh, there are teachers, both at an institutional level and an individual level, who are indoctrinating children in gender identity. But indoctrinating children in gender identity produces more people who identify as LGBTQ. And this is not my opinion. This is not my inference. You can actually look at the statistics. 20% of Gen Z identifies as LGBTQ compared to 10% of millennials and fewer than that in, in each preceding generation. So what's changed is not a it is not an environment or a culture in our country that's more open to this. What's changed is the indoctrination of this ideology into youth causes more people to identify um, as LGBTQ, which if you want to walk down this logical train of thought, which I think we should to respond to May or to respond to Secretary Pete, then if you are actively exposing children to an ideology that causes them to identify as more often as transgender and transgender children or children with gender dysphoria who are transitioned are more likely to commit suicide than by exposing them to the transgender ideology in the first place that leads them to identify as transgender and transition, you are actually leading children to a higher rate of suicide. So you could argue that 
um, the, the exposure of this ideology actually kills children. It's a hyperbolic claim, but if we want to play on the same level as Secretary Pete here, um, his claim is not only inaccurate, you could argue it the absolute opposite direction here. But the point, the point of all of this is that the Marxist thread is unmistakable. The Marxist thread through what is the assault that's happening on our children is is simply there. I mean, there are really two ways, by the way, to look at these five pillars of culture that Gramsci talks about, you know, religion, family, education, media, and law. So you, you can look at it on one hand as Gramsci advocating for each of these institutions in their current form to be destroyed because they are imped- an impediment to a Marxist revolution that people who rely on these institutions are never going to, going to revolt against um, the capitalist society in which we live. Um, Or you can look at it as sort of a circular firing squad that if if you don't destroy an institution, but you just compromise it, then you harness that compromised institution and turn it against the other institutions. It becomes somewhat of a circular firing squad, which I suppose the end is the same. It's still the destruction of the institution. But I think what we're seeing right now in our society is partially the Gramsci theory of of destroying these cultural institutions, not the governmental institutions necessarily, but the cultural institutions in order to train a new generation of revolutionaries, people who would be more likely to rise up against the ruling class. Um, But I think we are seeing a little bit of an evolution of Gramsci's theory, because I think that instead of just the destruction of each of these institutions, they have been compromised and harnessed into a circular firing squad. And what I mean by this is if you look at education, for example, this is one of the five pillars. If you look at education, you you can we can see for ourselves that um, it is simply objective truth that children are being taught gender identity. They are being taught in school as young as kindergarten. They are being indoctrinated in this um, in this Marxist philosophy that the, in the underpinning of which um, embraces, embraces critical theory, right? That there is no right or wrong, that, that truth is just the, the victor in, in, a, in a narrative competition. Whoever wins the political narrative gets to claim that they are, they are saying what's true here. But we, we can see for ourselves that children actually are being, being taught gender identity, which is, which is a form of Marxist. There's, there's an article that was published by uh, Fox Baltimore that says state education framework outlines gender identity instruction for kindergartners. This is what it says. The Maryland State Department of Education is instructing kindergarten classrooms to teach about gender identity and says that teachers in the state are not required to inform parents about their child's desire to change genders. Under the gender identity and expression subcategory of MSDE's health education framework, it states that pre-K students should learn to, quote, recognize and respect that people express themselves in many different ways and understand, quote, that there are different types of families, i.e. single parent, same gender, gender, intergenerational, blended, interracial, adoptive, foster, etc. By the time those students reach kindergarten, they're expected to recognize a range of ways people identify and express their gender according to the state's health curriculum framework. Instruction on this material expands as grade levels increase, and there is only an opt-out, not an opt-in option for such instruction starting in grade four. It's unclear in the health curriculum framework whether the opt-out option is available for the parents of students below the fourth grade. So as I said, you can can look at these cultural institutions, these, these pillars of culture that Gramsci says, 
uh, or that Gramsci identifies and say, okay, Gramsci wants these destroyed. Or you can look at it with this, with this, through this new lens that I'm positing today that they've been harnessed, they've been hijacked, compromised and harnessed into this circular firing squad. That is what's happening today in education. Again, children are being taught. It's fact. Children are being taught this gender identity, which has roots in queer theory, which has its roots in Marxism. And when conservatives point this fact out and say, listen, you're grooming children for sexual abuse because it is abuse to mutilate someone's sexuality, their body, their, their fertility. Um, we're, we're being told that, 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 is, that we're not allowed. Don't say groomer, they tell us. These people who are one minute ago, they are for the so-called free speech of teachers to tell children uh, in kindergarten anything they want about their sex lives. Well, it, it's, not, it's not just conservatives, though, um, worried about grooming in schools. There was a Department of Education report in 2017 um, that, that Chris Rufo brought to light. This is, this is what he tweeted. He said, in 2017, the Department of Education published a report warning that public school employees groom and then commit adult sexual misconduct against 10% of K-12 students, K-12 students, and the Department of Education defines grooming as the process of isolating and manipulating a child. In addition, in 2014, there was a report from the Government Accountability Office about grooming. This is what Rufo writes about it. He says, in 2014, the nonpartisan GAO published a 72-page report warning about child predators in public schools, recommending that administrators monitor teachers for grooming behaviors that could lead to sexual misconduct and sexual abuse. So it's happening. It's happening both on the individual level where individual teachers are abusing individual children. It's happening at the political level where teachers, a conglomeration of teachers, are indoctrinating children, grooming them for sexual abuse in order to achieve a political goal. This is happening. Education has been hijacked. It's been compromised. And it's been turned against, in the circling fire, circular firing squad, it's been turned against another institution. That is the family. Children, of course, are a pivotal part of the family. Gender is a pivotal part of the family. Marriage is a pivotal part of the family. So education has been, has been hijacked to turn, to turn its sights on, on destroying another cultural institution. The same can be said for the law. So the new inflation numbers are out and they are the worst this country has seen in nearly 40 years. Thank goodness for American Hartford Gold because the price of gas is up, the price of housing is up, the US national debt is way up. And with our current administration printing and spending trillions of dollars, experts don't see it getting better anytime soon. So how do you protect your money, your savings, your retirement? Well, when times are turbulent, Americans like you turn to real assets like physical gold and silver. American Hartford Gold can show you how to hedge your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. All it takes to get started is a short phone call, and they will have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or inside your IRA or 401k. And they make it easy. If you call them right now, they will give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. So don't wait. Call them right now. Call 855-768-1883. That's 855-768-1883 or text Liz to 65532. Again, the phone number is 855-768-1883 or if you want to text, text the word Liz, L-I-Z to 65532. Okay, so in this circular firing squad that I'm positing as, a, as an evolution to Gramsci's assault on these five pillars of culture, um, we see how the education system has been harnessed to attack the family, another one of the institutions. Similarly, the law is being has been compromised and is now being used to attack these institutions. Senator Amy Klobuchar was recently asked by Avita Duffy from The Federalist um, whether her bill 
Her, her bill that she has introduced bans what so-called health misinformation on social media. And this is how she responded when asked what constitutes health misinformation. Hi, thank you all for coming. My question is for uh, Congresswoman Klobuchar. No, Senator. It's Senator. No, no, no. That's good. <laughs> so my, my apologies. Um, you introduced um, the bill that you talked about today that would punish social media companies like Facebook and Twitter for having health misinformation on their platforms. And I'm going to ask you, if, if I were to say that there are only two sexes, male and female, would that be considered misinformation that you think should be banned uh, speech on social media platforms? Okay. I'm not going to get into what misinformation. First of all, I think the bill you're talking about is different than the one we've mostly been talking about. So I want to make that clear. We've been talking about the competition bill, um, but there is another bill that I have on vaccine misinformation. It is that specific in a public health crisis. You wonder why you get that specific. Um, it's because we're trying to find carve outs that I did with, this was with Ben Ray Lujan, um, that got to, that you can't have immunity as a social media company if you are broadcasting uh, vaccine uh, misinformation. Well, why wouldn't you answer a question right now like that? It should be a, a very easy question to answer. It's certainly pertinent. I mean, Amy Klobuchar is not stupid. She knows that if you say uh, a boy cannot be a girl or a girl cannot be a boy or there's only two genders, there is no such thing as gender fluidity. You, she knows if you say any of those two things, if you say Dr. Rachel Levine is a man, that you will be kicked off of Twitter, that you will be kicked off of YouTube. She understands the, she understands the world that we live in. She's not one of the old fuddy-duddy senators who doesn't know how to get on the Twitter. She knows how this works. She knows that this is a pivotal question to ask and that um, those on the left are trying to make it either hate speech or health misinformation to actually recognize that biology is real and it's not about identity and it's simply objective truth here. And so this, this is the law. This is the law in the process of being compromised, but not just for the destruction of our legal system, our, our rule of law itself, it's being compromised and harnessed to attack another of these pillars of culture. Again, the family. The family is the most important one of all, which is why you will see that each of these pillars of culture is harnessed against the family. You see this when uh, Press Secretary Jen Psaki made a statement during a press conference about the Florida Parental Rights and Education Bill. You will, you will, you will see how she posits that even for children with gender dysphoria, transitioning them with hormones and with surgery is, well, listen to her say it for yourself. Last item for you before we get to your questions. Uh, across the country, as we've talked about a bit in here, Republican elected officials are engaging in a disturbing, cynical trend of attacking vulnerable transgender kids for purely partisan political reasons. Today in Alabama, instead of focusing on critical kitchen table issues like the economy, COVID, or addressing the country's mental health crisis, Republican lawmakers are currently debating legislation that, among many things, would target trans use with tactics that threatens to put pediatricians in prison if they provide medically necessary life-saving health care for the kids they serve. Just like the extreme government overreach we've seen in Texas, where politicians have sent state officials into the homes of loving parents to investigate them for abuse just to harass and intimidate the LGBTQI plus community, today's 
today's vote in Alabama will only serve to harm kids. But Alabama's lawmakers and other legislators who are contemplating these discriminatory bills have been put on notice by the Department of Justice and the Department of Health and Human Services that laws and policies preventing care that health care professionals recommend for transgender minors may violate the Constitution and federal law. To be clear, every major medical association agrees that gender-affirming health care for transgender kids is a best practice and potentially life-saving. All of this begs an important question. What are these policies actually trying to solve for? LGBTQI plus people can't be erased or forced back into any closets, and kids across our nation should be allowed to be who they are without the threat that their parents or their doctor could be imprisoned simply for helping them and loving them. Uh, President Biden has committed in both words and actions to fight for all Americans and will not hesitate to hold these states accountable. So what has she done here? She's trying to destroy the family, certainly, but she's using the law. She's using the law to try to dismantle the nuclear family. Because if you, if as a culture, we define a certain standard of care as, as the appropriate standard of care, meaning any parent that does not meet that standard of care is, is, is neglect, they're, they're negligent, they, they are abusive perhaps, then the government is allowed to step in and, and remove that child from the parent's home. This is what Saki is, this is, this is her proposition, that if you refuse to transition your child, if they have gender dysphoria, that you are not meeting a standard of care, that you are being negligent or perhaps abusive. This is using, this is, this is hijacking the law, which destroys this, this cultural institution as it is, but hijacking it to turn it into the circular firing squad aimed at the family. We see this in the cultural, in the, in the, in the pillar of culture Ramsey describes as the media too. In, in two ways, actually. The first way we see is simply social media that has been, of course, I mean, I don't, I don't need to tell you about this, you know this. Uh, social media has been compromised. It's been compromised and harnessed to serve as an assault weapon against another of the pillars of culture, against children. Look at what's happening. So YouTube for kids is ostensibly a safe place for children to go on YouTube where, you know, graphic things, violent things, sexual things, age inappropriate things don't, don't populate. This is supposed to be just children's programming on YouTube. Yet this is what we see on YouTube Kids. This one has a penis. It's a boy. This one has a vulva. It's a girl. Whoa. Let's hit the brakes, people. The way your body looks on the outside is only part of the story. Huh? What? <sighs> Stay with me, gang. Your sex refers to your physical body parts, remember? But there is also something called gender, which is how you feel inside your body and who you know yourself to be. And your gender, how you feel on the inside, doesn't always match the sex you were called when you were born. But what if you were born with a penis and you know you're a girl inside? not a boy. Then your sex and your gender don't match. The body parts you were born with don't always dictate who you are, how you feel, or what you like to play with. That's such a relief. Figuring out what feels right for you is just part of growing up. <laughs> Queer kids stuff. Today, we're going to talk about gender. Boys can't wear dresses, can they? Well, why not? You should wear whatever clothes make you feel like the best version of yourself. People who are trans do not identify with the gender doctors tell them they are when they are born. We're gonna talk about what it means to be trans in a later episode. But Lindsay, I still don't know if I'm a boy or a girl. Well, Teddy, did you know that some people aren't boys or girls? When you meet someone, 
Just ask them what their pronoun is. What's your pronoun, Teddy? I don't feel like a she or a he, so I guess my pronoun is they. Me. The Gender Unicorn. You can check it out at transstudent.org forward slash gender. I'm pretty sure I'm gay, which means when I'm physically attracted to somebody else, they are usually male. Romantically or emotionally attracted to. Physical attraction and romantic emotional attraction sometimes match and sometimes they do not. That an individual's physical, romantic and emotional attraction to another person can depend on and is certainly not limited to that person's sex assigned at birth, their gender expression, and their gender identity. So how many of the pillars of culture identified by Gramsci can we now see have been hijacked, compromised, and turned against the fourth pillar? So it's, it's three, it's education, the law, and media. Have all three of those have been, have been hijacked, they've been harnessed, and they've been turned against the fourth pillar, or the fourth pillar, which is the family. Children are an integral part of the family. Religion, of course, plays into this. And I, I would say religion is a little bit different of a category, only in the sense that, yes, the left assaults religious liberty. Of course, the left assaults religious liberty. But the assaults on religion take the same form as the assaults on the family or the assaults on our education system, the assaults on parental rights. Because if parents don't have a right to instill their values into their children, then they really don't have a right a religious liberty right. They really don't have the right to practice their beliefs because practicing your beliefs would be instilling that in your children. And so religion is sort of the undercurrent to all of these, um, in addition, of course, to just the blatant assaults on, on religion that we see from the left. The, the other part of this is, is free speech. So how media plays into media plays into free speech. I mean, we, we can use Elon Musk versus Twitter as an example here. I, ha I have not seen a freak out by the left, whether it's the mainstream media, whether it's blue check marks on Twitter, whether it's any of the radical leftists, I've not seen a freak out to this extent in I don't know how long. I mean, this, this is like Trump level hatred that we're seeing aimed at Elon Musk. I mean, they're demonizing Elon Musk. I think it was Axios that published a headline that said, you know, Elon Musk, who used to be thought of as a Marvel superhero, is now turning into, you know, a super villain. And I thought, well, funny, very funny headline, very hyperbolic, very absurd, very <laughs> apocalyptic. But the left is going to do everything they can to take down Elon Musk, which is a conversation for a different day. But the reason we should ask is why? Why do they want Twitter to not embrace free speech? Why do they need Twitter to actively work against free speech? Why do they need Twitter as a censorship apparatus? And the reason for that is because when media is compromised, when it is hijacked, it can be used to assault another cultural pillar, another Gramsci cultural pillar. And if Twitter, which is the biggest political speech apparatus um, in our country, if Twitter is instead dedicated to free speech instead of being compromised by the left and using and being used against conservatives and free speech, then the left is not going to be able to successfully wage their attacks against cultural institutions. Control of the narrative to the left is critical to control of the people, is critical to parents not knowing until COVID that critical race theory was being taught to their children, not knowing until, until TikTok that their children are being taught that they can be a boy if they want to be a boy and a girl if they want to be a girl. And, you know, nothing, nothing sexual as long as it involves consent is immoral and gender isn't binary, it's fluid. Control of the narrative is key because if the left is not able to 
wage these assaults against children, which is an assault against the family, which is an assault against a cultural institution that's necessary to prevent the, the impediment, Gramsci called it, to a Marxist revolution, Twitter plays a key role in this. This is why the left is so freaked out at the idea of Elon Musk taking over Twitter. They're freaking out at the idea of free speech on Twitter. Remember, the five cornerstones of culture that must be attacked, that serve as an impediment to a Marxist revolution, according to Gramsci, are religion, the family, education, media, and the law. Each of these must be destroyed in and of themselves, but if you'll look at what's happening today, they're not only being destroyed because even being compromised destroys their original form. They are then being harnessed and weaponized to be used as an attack on one of the other cultural institutions, most generally the family and children as part of the family. To summarize this, or to wrap this up, to circle back, to use, to use Saki's uh, phrase, which she has ruined for me forever, the more that I study this Marxist theory, the more of the pipeline from that ideology to our current politics becomes very, very obvious. There's, there's always a political connection. It's not just Gramsci, the Italian, the Italian Marxist, translated into English by Joseph Buttigieg, the father of Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who has not disavowed his father's Marxist ideology, by the way, and no mainstream media journalist will ask him to disavow it, because why? Insane to me that nobody has asked. You know, and Buttigieg is now part of the Biden administration, a, a cabinet-level secretary in the Biden administration, despite zero qualifications for the position. It's not just that pipeline. I mean, you can look, you can look at this ideology to politician pipeline for almost any issue that we've discussed. You know, whether it's yesterday or not yesterday, last week we discussed queer theory. You can see the ideology of queer theory being passed, you know, being articulated by, you know, Dr. Rachel Levine or Education Secretary uh, Miguel Gar Cardona, which are part of the Biden administration. I mean, this, this ideology to politician pipeline is so direct, we conservatives would be remiss if we didn't identify it, if we are negligent in seeing it. I mean, critical theory and Marxism, right? It went from critical theory to Marxism through Columbia University to Kimberly Crenshaw and Derek Bell to Ibram Kendi and Black Lives Matter connected to all the Democrats. All the Democrats are adherents to this, have praised these individuals. You know, we can see Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and their, their great reset ideology, their stakeholder capitalism that they want to replace shareholder capitalism. We see the connection, you know, through the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab actually being advisors to, to Biden or even, even, even sideways through Larry Fink and BlackRock back to Obama and Biden and Biden's build back better phrase that he that he co-opted from the World Economic Forum itself. This this ideology to politician pipeline is so evident. Modern monetary theory is another one. You know, Stephanie Kelton, who's the, the biggest proponent of modern monetary theory, the whole you can spend as much as you want. You don't have to have a balanced budget. Just keep printing and spending until inflation becomes too much. And then you just tax people more so that there's there's less of a demand for the stuff which brings down the prices anyway. Stephanie Kelton, was an advisor to Bernie Sanders, an advisor to the Senate Democrats, who are connected, of course, to Biden. She was on that joint commission between Bernie and Biden. All of this ideological leftism, this poisonous ideology, really, there's such an obvious ideology to politician pipeline. And so when we see these, these things popping up around our country, whether it's this white privilege and white fragility in school, whether it's no, gender has no binary, you can be whatever you want to be in schools, whether it's, you know, who cares about spending, just, just keep spending as much as you want, federal government, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, whether it's um, any of this stuff. It has an ideological underpinning, and in order for us to fight effectively against it, we have to 
understand it. If you look for it, it is certainly there. And sometimes you'll you'll find it unintentionally, like I did on the cover, on the cover of the prison notebooks, where Joseph Buttigieg's name was there splashed for all to see. And it took me, I don't know how many times picking up before I noticed it. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is the Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.